morning, good Wednesday, and welcome to The Daily Buzz. I'm your host, Aaron Falk. Utah Governor Spencer Cox has vetoed House Bill 11, a bill that would have prevented transgender girls from participating in school sports that match their gender identity. But lawmakers, who passed the bill in the final moments of this year's legislative session, have vowed to override the governor's rare veto later this week. Politics reporter Kimball Harquez has more. Utah House and Senate leaders on Tuesday announced their plan to meet this Friday for an override session minutes after Governor Spencer Cox vetoed a bill that would prevent transgender girls from participating in school sports that match their gender identities. The proposed legislation, HB 11, initially looked to create a commission to evaluate whether a transgender athlete could play in a sport that aligns with their gender identity. But during the final hours of the legislative session earlier this month, Riverton Republican Senator Daniel McKay introduced a controversial amendment to the bill that sought to outright ban transgender girls from participating in female school sports. Following the amended bill's passage in both chambers, Cox immediately vowed to veto it, citing that the bill had not gone through proper debate and consideration. Moments after Cox announced his veto of the bill, House Speaker Brad Wilson said he expects a Utah legislator to have the votes necessary to override the governor's decision. Later Tuesday, Cox called for a special legislative session surrounding HB 11, which is slated for Friday. We'll keep you posted on that development. Tribune reporters Courtney Tanner and Alistair Lee Bitsoy, along with managing editor Sheila McCann, have investigated how boarding schools in Utah have historically stripped indigenous children of their culture. The investigation is ongoing, but so far the Tribune has identified eight boarding schools and dormitories that existed in Utah, including three that are still operating in the state. Today, we'll hear from Courtney about her reporting. Courtney, thank you so much for talking to us today. Yeah, happy to be here. What are Indigenous schools? Can you introduce that for us before we get talking about the ones in Utah? Absolutely. So these, uh, yeah, as you know, you know, were existed across the United States and into Canada. Um, they're essentially boarding schools where the government forced Indigenous students to attend, removed them from their families, and, and very often the effort was to strip them of their culture and their beliefs. So take us back to the, the reason why the Tribune got turned on to these, this story to begin with. What was the first story in this series? The very first story happened last fall. We um, got a tip that um, the Paiute tribe in southern Utah was um, concerned that some of the students who were forced to attend a school in Penguich had actually been buried on the school grounds. And so we started talking to the tribe and Utah State is going to do some forensic work down there. And that's kind of what started all of this. And running concurrently with that, um, the Secretary of Interior, Deb Holland, is also doing a federal investigation kind of along the same lines to see, you know, if there are you know, students that died at these boarding schools, you know, with the harsh conditions and, and were buried there. And then um, if repatriation efforts need to, to take place to return those kids to their homes. So the school outside of Panguitch was a surprise to a lot of people. It wasn't on their lists of indigenous schools. And during your reporting, you found that there were several other schools that kind of went on the rolls, off the rolls. What was the final number of schools in indigenous schools in Utah that you got to? We found eight total, which you're right, is, is kind of a new number, at least from what we're seeing. So your initial reporting was that there could be bodies buried on the Panguitch school grounds. Um, I noticed in this report that there were 50 children 
who were reported to have died while attending one of the schools. Is there any thought that there might be bodies buried on any of these other school grounds? I think that's definitely kind of front of mind for a lot of tribal leaders. Um, so what we did to, to come to that 50 number is we looked through these federal reports that they used to do annually from the 1800s up until 1930, where they just kind of drop off, which is unfortunate because some of the schools here, you know, went beyond 1930. Um, but in combing through those reports, we were able to count 50 student deaths between the Uinta and the Ore boarding schools that were both um, in the Uinta Basin and eventually, you know, combined into to one school in the White Rocks area. And, you know, that number has never really appeared anywhere else, um, you know, beyond counting those up through those, those federal reports. And it's also worth noting, you know, that those federal reports come from a certain viewpoint, I guess is how I'll put it. It's, um, you know, it's a white perspective um, in people, administrators that obviously supported having these boarding schools. I think one of the unique things about this story is, although it is forgotten history to some people who live in this state, there are still people who this is very much living history who attended these schools. Did you get to talk to any of those people and what did they have to say? Yeah, and I think that's, you know, a really important note. While this might feel very new um, and, and, you know, there are parts of it that are being uncovered as we go along, but this has always been known to, you know, the Indigenous community and those who were forced to attend these schools. And um, we talked to a number of people here who who did have to go to one of these boarding schools. Uh, we talked to Mark Maryboy in particular, who had this really, you know, harrowing experience where every night he and his little brother would lay in bed and they were um, seven and eight years old at the time. And, you know, would just be attacked, brutally attacked by the older students at the school every single night. And, you know, they reported it to the administrators there who, you know, Mark Maryboy says didn't do anything to react to it. And there's sadly lots of stories like this. Um, you know, Willie Gray Eyes, we also talked to, went to several boarding schools, you know, was, was transferred around a lot. And, and there was this kind of repeated story of, of abuse and neglect. So you did this reporting with a team, Alistair Bitsoy, Sheila McCann. Where does the reporting go from here? We have a lot more work to do. I'm glad you asked. We are looking for folks who went to these schools and are willing to talk to us. Um, I'm particularly kind of focused on the Uinta Basin and the Ute Tribe. Um, and, you know, Alistair is, is hopefully going to look a little bit more into the schools that still exist today, which is, you know, worth noting. There's these eight schools that we found and three of them are still in operation. They've changed a lot, obviously, um, wouldn't still hopefully be allowed to run if they hadn't. Um, but, you know, looking kind of at the legacy of, of what it means to still be a boarding school and and, you know, just looking at the overall picture of this history that really has been left out of the books. And if someone has information about a relative who attended one of these schools or wants to talk about their experience attending one of these schools, who should they reach out to? Is there an email address? Oh, yes, please reach out. Um, you can reach out to me directly. My email address is ctanner at sltriv.com. We also have a survey that is linked in our story, uh, the map story that we did um, that you can fill out as well with your information. All right, Courtney Tanner, thank you so much for talking. Thank you. Thanks, Courtney. And tomorrow we'll hear more about the investigation from Alistair. And sorry, ski bums, but it looks like Utah's powder season is coming to an end. Julie Jack, who covers skiing and all things sports for the Tribune, reports that most resorts in Utah will stop spinning their lifts around mid-April, with several ending their seasons as early as April 3rd. Beaver Mountain, Cherry Peak, Eagle Point, and Nordic Valley will be some of the first resorts to close, while Snowbird and Solitude could stay open through the spring or until the snow is gone. 
And as ski season comes to an end, hiking season, and potentially more of it in the greater Salt Lake City area, could be on the horizon. Westside reporter Alex L. Cabrera has a story this week about the drive by local officials to expand the trail system in the Ochre Mountains between Magna and Harriman. You can check out that story at sltrib.com. Thanks to the Tribune's Joel Cardenas for editing the Daily Buzz today, and a huge shout out to Salt Lake City band, the Pelicans, for our music. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again tomorrow. Thank you.